He took one of today's biggest music genres mainstream, transforming a city, an industry, and American pop culture forever. So why does hardly anybody know his name? This is no flame out, no fad, no flash in the pan. This is the Forgotten Famous. Here's your host, Matt Mitchell. There was once something called the Alabama Mississippi Fair and Dairy Show. One year it held a children's talent contest. A droopy-eyed 10-year-old climbed up on a chair, reached for the microphone, and sang a song he'd heard on the radio. It was called Old Shep, the saddest song ever written about a dog. It was 1945. A few years later, the kid sang it again at his high school talent show. And a few years after that, he recorded his version. Unfortunately, it wasn't much of a hit. It barely touched the charts in 1956. But unlike that poor dog, old Shep, this story has a happy ending. Because that kid scored three number ones that year, including a more popular canine cover song. You ain't nothing but a dog, Yep, I'm talking about Elvis. And no, this is not a story about Elvis. This is a story about the guy who wrote Old Shep, the guy who first made it a hit. And although you may not know his name, it got recorded by lots of names you do know. I'll let one of them introduce us. You know, good songs are handed down from generation to generation. I learned this song from the late Red Foley, and years from now, I hope you'll say that you remember that by Johnny Cash. Well, when I was a lad, and old Shep was a pup, over hills and meadows we'd stray. Just a boy and his dog. A Kentucky gentleman named Red Foley was one of the most famous people in 50s America. And it was his star power that helped a regional music styling become the national billion dollar industry it is today. It's time to stand up, rosin up that bow, and get hotter than a $2 pistol. Let's talk country music. Nothing but a midnight rambler, biggest drunkard and a gambler. He'd do anything that wasn't nice. Hunting, golfing, fishing, swimming, running around with other women, playing dominoes and shooting dice. These days, country is so ubiquitous, it may as well be a public utility, like landline telephone service. Whether you need it or not, it's standing by, available to anyone, anywhere, anytime. But it hasn't always been that way. It took a special talent to bring country music from the honky-tonks to America's living rooms and keep it there. Here are four things you need to know about Red Foley. Number one, he was a classically trained crooner, but he sang blues, rockabilly, country. He even had million-selling gospel and folk records. His range was crazy. Number two, he has two different stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Number three, he sold over 25 million records. That's more than ZZ Top, Cheap Trick, The Cars, and lots of other more familiar multi-platinum names. Number four, he's the biggest reason every town from Birmingham to Beverly Hills has a country pop radio station. 
And I know you may think of country pop as... Or like this. She thinks my tractor's sexy. But before it was delivering musical abominations like those, country pop used to sound, well, a lot different than that. At this point, major record labels believed they could never sell country music, the sound of the white, rural, working-class South, to their lucrative target, middle-class city folk. And I get it. Historically, country music had sounded like this. Oh, how many biscuits can you eat this morning? This morning. How many biscuits can you eat this evening? Not something regular guys in, say, Philadelphia were looking to buy. Plus, if you were just some guy from Philly, odds were you weren't hanging out, trading records with buddies from Mobile or Knoxville or Atlanta. But all that would change. We interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii by air. President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all... We all know that World War II transformed America in about a thousand different ways. But for country music, it exposed an entire generation of young GIs to fellow soldiers and to songs from across the country. And down south, war meant good jobs. 20% of the entire south headed to the city and towns everywhere filled up with people leaving the farm behind. The time to launch country into the big time was arriving, but record labels were still afraid of the great divide they saw between country and pop music. But like any great divide, conquering it just means crossing over. A term that became popular in the 1980s, genre artists cross over when their music hits the pop charts. Today, country stars cross over all the time. Shania Twain, Faith Hill, Hootie from Hootie and the Blowfish, Oh, and the biggest pop star on planet Earth. But before all these chart-crossing artists we know and love, there was Red Foley. Already a rising star on country radio, he used the fervor of a world war to score his first crossover hit. In 1944, he released Smoke on the Water. Not that Smoke on the Water, another one. And it was the number one country song for three months and climbed to number seven on the pop charts. Hero hit along with Hitler, we'll be riding on a rail. Mussolini will beg for mercy, as a leader he has failed. But there'll be no time for pity when the screaming eagle flies. That will be the end of axes, they must answer with their lives. There'll be smoke on the water, on the land and the sea. When our army and navy overtakes the enemy, there'll be smoke on the mountains where the heathen gods stay, and the sun that is rising will go down on that day. This unapologetically patriotic song was released in the middle of a war that killed about 3% of the world's population. But yeah, a real toe-tapper. Wartime also meant paper rationing, which hurt newspaper circulation. This left good old paperless radio rolling in advertising dollars. With a lifetime contract from Decca Records, soon Foley was busier than a moth in a mitten. He starred on three network radio shows, performed for 200,000 at the Chicago Rodeo, and traded a fiddle for a foxtrot to score his next hit. Shame, shame on you. Took my heart as a token when returned it was broken hide your face shame on you shame on you was another huge country crossover foley was now a bankable recording star and the next job he took changed his life 
and country music forever. The most recognizable brand in the country music universe, the Grand Ole Opry is a weekly Nashville stage concert. It still airs live from Nashville on WSM every Saturday night, and in April of 1946, they needed a new host. There was just one name on their wish list. Welcome to Grand Ole Opry with Rob Brassfield, Minnie Pearl, and starring Greg Foley. Now, friends, that famous Montgomery, Alabama singing personality, Hank Williams. For seven years worth of Saturday nights, Foley emceed the Opry as it took to the NBC airwaves. With a 50,000-watt clear channel signal, WSM had no problem reaching audiences all across America. With Foley, the Opry got so popular, fans traveling an average of 500 pre-interstate miles poured into Nashville every week. The Opry's auditorium could only fit a few thousand, and it wasn't unusual for country crowds of 10,000 or more to get turned away. And sure, today there are lots of people who would readily self-identify as country, but nearly all of these folks have cell phones, flat-screen TVs, internet fast enough to stream some Yankees podcast. But in those early post-war years, people were country. Like, we recently got electricity country. Like, we just took care of our malaria problem country. Bare feet, dirty clothes, probably rolling up in that car from the Beverly Hillbillies with the rocking chair on the roof. Hotels near the Opry reported that, despite stuffing eight people or more into them, their rooms were often cleaned when they left, as they never heard of maid service. With a core audience like this, country recordings were often officially cataloged as, quote, hillbilly music. But Foley's crossover appeal was changing that, and he got some help from, well, a real good friend. When I was broken blue, I gave advice to you. Ah, uh, you're a true blue friend. You help me pay my rent. I charge you 10%. Uh, that's what I call a real good friend. Known as the Texas Troubadour, Ernest Tubb was a country music hall of famer and a trailblazer in his own right. He and Foley recorded lots of hits together. When you walk up to a jukebox and you slip your nickel in, you can bet your bottom dollar when the record starts to spin. You'll hear some good old country music with a honky-tonkin' sound. It's that hillbilly fever that's spreading all around. Hillbilly fever's going round. Despite the song's hook, Tubb hated the term hillbilly music. I mean, he looked like that Nevada senator from The Godfather, not a guy you'd ever refer to as a hillbilly. He worked very deliberately to make sure the term country music stuck. This savvy rebranding was a stroke of genius, and Foley was its living embodiment. Polished but still folksy as a corncob pipe, he wasn't just country's most accomplished singer, but the friendly, genteel voice the Opry needed to go deeper into American culture than ever before. 1950 brought the dawn of Foley's recording prime, and Foley brought the music business one of its biggest transformations. Back then, all commercial recording took place in New York or Hollywood. They had the best facilities, they had the best studio musicians, you, you just didn't record anywhere else. But soon, Foley was the first country artist to record in Nashville, and the rest was history. Like the monkey said with its tail cut off, it won't be long now. Red quickly churned out 50 hits that made the country top 10, and lots more crossovers. But to show you just how famous this now totally unknown guy really was, here's an example using two guys you probably still know. 
Bing Crosby, and Frank Sinatra. In 1950, there weren't many stars bigger than Bing Crosby. He was an Oscar-winning actor, a recording legend, and a radio star. Red Foley even calls out Bing's dashing popularity on newfangled TV in one of his songs. The phonograph and radio sure used to be all right. My girl and I would cuddle up, we'd listen every night. Since television came along, taint like it used to be. She saw Bing Crosby singing and now she won't look at me. Television! Frank Sinatra, meanwhile, didn't have his Oscar yet, but he too was a radio and movie star, and his debut album got so popular, it took Crosby's spot at number one. And in 1950, Crosby, Sinatra, and Foley all recorded and released the same song at about the same time, or as Foley might put it, All three of us have a record of the same tune. Sinatra's version was a success, hitting the pop charts at number 24. Crosby's did even better, peaking at number four. But Foley's? His was a monster number one hit, staying on top of the charts for a month. And they clap their hands, he's a great big bundle of joy. He pops a boogie woogie rag, the Chattanooga Shoeshine Boy. Chattanooga Shoeshine Boy was a hit coast to coast, with Billboard magazine noting, few records in the history of the business have sold with comparable speed and scope. The success was so big, record executives were finally convinced that country artists could go mainstream. Nashville production had matched the Big Apple. Within eight years of Foley's landmark first recording there, Nashville's recording industry was already worth a quarter billion in today's dollars, and Decca Records' New York executives were flying to see Foley in Tennessee instead of the other way around. Foley followed up by turning a spelling lesson into another crossover hit. Without even aiming for it, Foley landed seven country hits on the pop charts in 1950 alone. He got so hot, there was literally nothing Decca Records could make him record he couldn't turn into a crossover hit. Don't believe me? Listen to this top 10 song. Cincinnati's dancing pig. He's the barnyard Mr. Pig. Cincinnati's dancing pig with his riggedy jiggity jiggity jig 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 jig. With four different million selling records, Foley's status as a national hit-making radio star was good for everybody. He earned the nickname Mr. Country Music. The Opry earned its legendary status, and the Nashville recording industry earned its place in the mainstream. Radio was still wildly popular, but its days dominating the airwaves were numbered. In 1950, owning a TV set was a rarity. About one in 10 American homes had one, about the same percentage as people who owned cell phones in 1994. But in just 10 years, things had totally flipped. About one in 10 homes didn't have a TV. Televised versions of radio shows were super popular, and it didn't take long for audiences to migrate from listening to watching. That's about all for now, but we'll be back again next week with another grand old Opry.
With TV, Red could serve as the voice and the face of country music, so he left the Opry for Springfield, Missouri to help launch country music's first popular network television program, Ozark Jubilee. And now, direct from the heart of the Cumberland Plateau, ladies and gentlemen, it's Ozark Jubilee time, featuring America's favorite country gentleman, Red Foley! We'd like to sort of take off like a herd of turtles here for all the little Bobby Soxers with a song that gives all the boys in the band back here a chance to be shown off called Birmingham Bound. Boys. ABC's Ozark Jubilee beamed country music into millions and millions of homes for almost six years, regularly scoring a Nielsen rating of almost 20 points. This year on ABC, the Oscars scored a 14.9. TV was a different landscape back then, but with so few channels, simply being on TV made you a big deal. As it turns out, Foley was as good a TV host as a radio MC, and he made Ozark Jubilee Network TV's longest-running country music program. By the time it went off the air, he'd completed the mission. Gone was country music's image of the barefoot, banjo-picking hayseed, replaced with the smiling, confident country gentleman next door. In 1967, in his late 50s, Foley was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. But by then, rock and roll had taken over and the spotlight had moved on, never to return. One year later, after a couple shows in Fort Wayne, Indiana, an exhausted Foley died in his sleep. Red shared the stage that day with a teenage Hank Williams Jr. And 20 years before he'd ask America if we were ready for some football, Williams wrote a bummer of a song called I Was With Red Foley the Night He Passed Away. But instead of playing that, I'll let Mr. Country Music have the last word. A heavy drinker with a couple skeletons in the closet, he was no angel. But old Red, he was no devil either. A deeply spiritual man, I'm sure he's in a better place. After I have done my best, I will find a peaceful rest when my Savior carries me home. This is The Forgotten Famous. I'm Matt Mitchell. Thanks for listening. And I'll never forget you. <laughs>